Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. The one we're going to talk about this morning, this word dwelling place here, is the Greek word keokaterion. Keokaterion. I could quit right there and say, mission accomplished. I got that out. <laughs> keokaterion. It means a dwelling place abode, or a permanent dwelling home. Dwelling place, abode, or a permanent dwelling place. At the heart of Christianity, this, this, this is the essence of the heart of Christianity, is that the belief that Christ dwells in me. That's at the heart of Christianity. If you can't if you can't get this concept, then you're going to struggle with everything else. You have to understand and believe and act like Christ dwells in you. David Wilkerson said this, God has no other physical residence, no nation, no capital, not even Jerusalem, no mountaintop. He doesn't reside in the clouds or the sky or the darkness, or daylight, the sun, moon, or stars. Of course, the Lord is everywhere. His presence fills everything. But according to his word, God makes his home in his people. The blood-cleansed heart is his permanent dwelling. The blood-cleansed heart is his permanent dwelling. It's by the proclamation of my words. It's by... My actions prove that the influence in my life has changed from the God of this world to the resurrected Savior. What I say, what I do, shows whether or not and who has the dwelling place in my heart. And who dwells in me? Who's, who's, who's running the ship? Who's, who's piloting the ship? And in order to get really that, we have to understand that before time ever began, before Jesus ever went to the cross, before he ever came out of the tomb, the Godhead determined that humanity, or the heart of man, would be their permanent dwelling place. Before he did anything else. Before he created anything else, he said, this is how we're going to do this. Our dwelling place will be the heart of man. And so, as we look at that, we, we, we understand that it, the will of God is to have permanent residence in you and I. That's his will. And honestly, he's not going to settle for anything less than that. He's not. He will stay after us. He will keep after us. He'll keep working in us. He'll keep changing us. He'll keep bringing, Holy Spirit will keep bringing things to us until we come to that place where we are the dwelling place in fullness in fullness, the fullness of his dwelling in us. Hebrews 2.12, you all, you all know this scripture. It says what? 
or 12.2, I'm sorry, not 2.12, 12.2. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Amplified says it this way, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief in the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. So, in looking at that, I want, I want to look at this where, where it talks about the joy that was set before him. Now, there's, there's a lot of different aspects to the joy that, of this joy that was set before him. It was the completion of his work. But what did that entail? What, what would, what, it, re, it entailed our redemption. It, re, in, it, it uh, entailed our healing, our provision, all of these things. But as I was looking at this, I, I began to understand that part of the joy that was set before him was the understanding that his sacrifice would once again allow the heart of man to be open to his residence. That was part of the joy that was set before him, knowing that because of his sacrifice, him going to the cross, that the heart of man would once be available to be his dwelling place. The joy of knowing that there would be unlimited fellowship with him and that that was once again accessible, unlimited fellowship. Knowing that everything about him, everything about him would now be accessible to humanity. I, everything about him. He was holding nothing back. He was keeping nothing back. That's why Jesus could say, fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There was nothing being held back. When Jesus was on the cross and he was going to the cross, that was part of the joy that was set before him, knowing what he was going to accomplish. He was going to open the door again to full, unfettered, unlimited fellowship and access to God. And so he, was, he, he would be able to fully, fully, fully reveal himself to us. So when we talk about being the habitation of God, we're talking about being in that place where we have full access, full access to him, complete access to him. There's nothing else that we have to strive for, nothing else that we have to work for, nothing else that we have to achieve. And that he has to achieve. He's done it all. That's why it says he could go and sit down at the right hand of the Father knowing that he had completed his work. And so part of that is understanding the joy that is in the heart of God. <laughs> the joy that comes into the heart of God when someone accepts him as their Savior. The joy that he feels. That's why it says that the angels rejoice over what? One person coming to the Lord. 
When we were we were out went street ministering one one day, and and the, and the area they took us into was it was wild. I mean, I don't have time to tell you everything that happened, but it's crazy. I we they they had witch covens in this neighborhood. They had gang killings. We had a I had a native shaman running around us with incense, trying to put it on us, and that's crazy. But in the midst of that, two of the ladies went to an SUV. And they started talking to the people. And we come to find out that they were Satanists. Said they were Satanists. They worshiped Satan. And when we, we walked up to that SUV, the guy was getting out of the car, wiping his eyes, and the woman got out from the dryer. And, she, and those two ladies had led them both to the Lord. Now, can you imagine the joy in the heart of God, the Father, when that happened? Can you imagine the joy that he felt? We can't. We can't imagine the joy he felt. But Jesus said, Father, this was the joy that was set before me so this could happen. Now you have access. They have access to us. They can freely access us. And we can begin to pour out on them and in them what you had planned for them all along. So understanding that, that we have unlimited because of that word, because we have the indwelling of Christ. We have everything. We don't lack anything. There's not a need you have that God has not already made provision for. There's not anything that you encounter that God has not already seen and taken care of. So I want to go real quick over to 1 Corinthians 3. Again, another very familiar portion of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. You know what? I, this is the simplicity of this sometimes just, you're just like, wow, 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 wow. Why am I making this so hard? Why am I making this so difficult? Why do I do this? And I, I got to stop real quick before we go into this. You see, uh, one of the things the Lord showed me and put in my heart in, in, in us understanding this thing of being the habitation of God is there, there, there are those of all of us but there are some that God is wanting to take from this level to this level and y'all are just kicking and scratching the whole way and I, I, I don't know why but here God gave me two examples and, and, and I'm just going to share them with you real quick. Have you, I, I, there's been times when in a moment of irrational thinking that my wife has come to me and said, I'm going shopping. Do you want to go with me? <laughs> and in my irrational thinking, I say, Sure. And then as soon as it's out of my mouth, the next thought is, what have you done? What have you done? But anyway, so you go with them. You know, guys, we go with them once in a while when we're just out of our minds. I don't know. But, and so we sit and we watch them. And they'll grab something off the rack and they'll look at it. 
And they might even, they'll go in and try it on and come out and ask you how you look. And if you have any sense in you, you say it looks good. Unless you've got a real death wish or, you know, you, your survival mode kicks in and you say, yes, yes, it looks great. But anyway, um, where was I? <laughs> anyway, they go and they try it on. And so you think, we're, we're buying this thing. We're buying this. And so you're, you're getting ready to reach for your wallet. And she comes back out and she puts it back on the rack. And you're like, aren't you buying that? Well, no. I'm just looking. And I'm, you're, <laughs> the guy, listen, ladies, here's the way guys think. They're thinking, are you kidding me? I sat here for 20 minutes, and you're supposed to be buying. I've, I'm, I'm ready to buy this thing. I mean, I got, you know, I got the pot wallet out, and I'm ready to get her done. But yet you come, you've tried it on, you've looked at it, you like it, and you still put it back on the rack. <laughs> or you go with them, and they're out, and they're, 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 you're walking, and they never go in the store. Just walk and window shop. You know what Holy Spirit told me? He said, would you please tell them that I'm not interested in window shopping with them? Would you please tell them that I'm not into window shopping? I'm into getting and I'm into giving you what you want. Quit putting it back on the shelf. Quit putting it back on the rack. And see, when we start fighting with God, that's what we're doing. We're looking at what he has. We don't even take it out and look at it, and it looks, and we know it's what he wants. It's no, we know it's what his desire is for us. And we'll just put it back in the rack and walk out as empty-handed as we came in. The other, the other, the other example he shouldn't. This was crazy. I, I, I even laughed when he, and, and, but he showed me this. He says a lot of them are like this. Pastor Sean. He's got him a surfboard, and he's out riding waves. And you can see these people hanging on to him while he's riding the wave. Now, for a while, that's good because you can learn. But there's times, it, there comes a time when you've got to get off of his board and get onto your board and put into practice what you've seen. You've got to start riding your own wave. You keep riding the wave with him. You're never going to know how, you're never going to learn how to navigate the waves. You're never going to learn how to hit them right. You're going to be out there paddling, 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 and never be able to catch the wave like you're supposed to. Because all you're doing is hanging on to him and letting him do all the work. That's not how God intended for it. God intended for him and, and others in ministry to show you how to ride the wave. But sooner or later, you got to get on your own board, and you got to ride your own wave. you got to quit window shopping, and you got to start letting the Holy Spirit invest in you what he desires to invest in you. 
I, I, no, I'm not going to go there. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Again, real, real familiar portion of scripture. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, you know, when we look at this, we get caught, we get caught up on this defiling thing. And we, we get caught up on, on, and a lot of teaching is about, boy, you better take care of your temple. You've got to watch your temple. Don't defile your temple. And all of that is truth. But we're missing, I miss the main point in this. And I want us to look at two words. It says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God, and that he dwells in you. The Greek word for, for temple here is naos. This, this is good. When you, when, when you, when you hear this, you're gonna, it's going to start clicking in you. Naos, it is a divine dwelling place. A part of the temple where God himself lives. It is a place of divine manifestation. So do you realize what Paul's saying here? He's saying, you are a place of divine manifestation. You're a place, your heart, your life, the way God designed it to be is a place of divine manifestation. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says. There should be divine manifestation coming out of our lives. There should be divine manifestation coming out of us. That's what being the habitation of God is. It's the manifestation, God manifesting, being able to manifest himself through us to others. Then there's the word dwell. It is okio. It means to inhabit, to be at home comfortably, to cohabit like a husband and a wife. So imagine, we talk about being the dwelling place of Christ. And the, I, this idea of, of cohabiting like a husband and a wife. When that happens, if something gets done in that home, the spouse should not have to go to the other spouse and get permission to do it. I, right? I came home from California, and Kathy had rearranged the furniture in the house. Now, I didn't come in there and go, what are you doing? That's not where that couch goes. That's not where that chair goes. No. What did I do? I said, looks great. And she has that freedom, that right to be able to do that. Because we cohabit. that It's not my house. It's not her house. It's our house. Same with me. If I need to do something, she doesn't come and say, wait, 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 you didn't ask me if you could do that. I'm just like, no, I, you know, I know I can do it. That's my right. You see where I'm going with this? 
So when we are the habitation of Christ, it's the same kind of thing. We give up the right to tell him how to do things in our house. <laughs> oh, come on. We do. We give up the right to try to tell him what he can and cannot do. Because we are now a place of divine manifestation. We're an outlet of divine manifestation. And that divine manifestation, that spirit, cohabits this inside. Not this, but inside my spirit. And so I have to, I have to understand this, that he chose to live in us because he wanted to live through us. He didn't have to do it. He could have just come down and said, here, I'm God, here I am. But he made the choice to inhabit this vessel and to allow and let this vessel be his man. Paul said, you're a letter. That's basically what he said. He said, you're a letter written to the world by me. That's what we are. And so if, if you look at this, and, and I, I was looking at what, there's a couple in, in the Phillips version, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17 says this, don't you realize that you yourselves are the temple of God and God's spirit lives in you? God will destroy anyone who defiles his temple for his temple is holy and that is exactly what you are. You are the manifestation. You are the place where he's chosen to manifest and show himself. The Mount's interlineal says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Now, see, this, this, is, this is where we start to disconnect, right here. This is where... We start as humans and having a carnal side to us. This is where we start to disconnect because we don't see it. And because we can't envision it, that literally means, well, it can't be. But that's not the case. You have to, you have to look at this. You have to get out of your carnal. You've got to get out of your flesh to see this because the enemy is going to come every day, every minute, and he is going to tell you, no, God can't dwell on you. Look at what you just did. And you call yourself the dwelling place of God? But see, we have to be in the, in the spirit enough to say, actually, yes, I do. Actually, yes, I do call myself. And yes, I am the dwelling place of God. I may falter. I may make mistakes. But God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion covers me. And he takes care of it for me. My job is to make sure I don't do it again. My job is to make sure I don't keep going around the, the same mountain and, and going around the same track and, and never getting off of that. So his design is, is, is to live through us. And he knew it would not be a physical habitation. He knew it would be a spiritual one. That is how, that's how we have to look at this. 
We don't walk around with God written on our forehead. Or we don't. That, that would be stupid. It would be, it would be irrational. It would be all of those things. But see, it's written. What did God, what did, what did, what did, what's the word say? It's written where? On the fleshly tablets of our heart. You see, when Paul, Paul was at Ephesus, you can read in Acts, I believe it was Ephesus, well, that was where he went and he preached to them about the unknown God. I believe it was Ephesus. Am I right or wrong? Am I right? I think so. We'll go with that. Well, and the reason I say that, because Ephesus was a, it was a religious hub. I mean, you could go there and you could find a temple to any god you could imagine. And they had one temple, and that's what the temple was designated to, to the unknown god. And Paul said, well, let me tell you about the unknown God. And so he began to, what he began to do was tell them that, that he was declaring to them that God did not dwell in religious rite or religious activity, but he dwelt in the heart. His, he, didn't, he didn't get his, his uh, fulfillment out of watching religious or seeing religious rite or religious activity. But he got his contentment and he got his fulfillment from watching hearts be changed. That's his joy. We read it and we talked about it. That's his joy. And so Paul was, that's what he was doing. He was basically telling them, it's not about right. And you know, a lot of, a lot of people will say, and, and, and You've heard it and I've heard it, that revival tarries because people have not prayed enough. They've not fasted enough. They've not repented enough. They've not praised enough. They've not worshipped enough. That is why revival is tarrying and has tarried. That may be true, but the heart of why we don't see God move in his fullness is because we have not fully understood and embraced the fact that God wants to find his permanent home in us. Brother Doug said it last night. The amount of attention you give to the word will result and have a direct effect on how much of a result that has. Man, that was good. The amount that we understand, and, and, and the reason we don't see, I, I, I'm not even sure I like to use the term revival, but the reason we don't see God move in our lives like he wants to is because we haven't come to the full realization of what he wants to do in us. I mean, we get so far, and, and, and like I've said, then, then things we start thinking, and the words start showing things to us, and, and we start disconnecting because either like he said last night, we don't understand it, or we just flat don't want to do it. It's not something that we want to engage in. And so when that happens, we stop the flow of God. Because God will not move us. He will not move us on to something else until we take care of and deal with what he is dealing with us right now. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't say, well, okay, you aren't getting that love. We'll come back to that later. No. He says, we're going to stay here. And we're going to camp here until you get this. And you work this out. And you let me work this out. Then we can move on. 
to the next thing. And so we have to realize that uh, true awakening happens when we grasp the reality that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is constantly alive and constantly, constantly, constantly alive and at work in us. Not to come and go, but to be comfortable enough to make himself at home. <laughs> Not to come and go. And that's why we have to realize that God is not interested in visitation. His focus is habitation. Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens to me, I will come in. And I will sup with him or eat with him or fellowship with him and he can fellowship with me. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, waiting for you to let me in. Once I come in, I bring fellowship with me. I bring intimacy with me. I bring understanding with me. I bring revelation with me. I bring provision with me. I bring healing with me. Ah, come on. Everything. When we finally open the door and say, okay, Lord. Now, again, we relegate this sometimes in our thinking to unsafe people. Can I ask you a question? Who was Jesus talking to here? He was talking to the church, a church. A church that had not understand that they had to let him in in order to get what he was wanting to give them and be to him what he was wanting to be. Acts 17, 18, uh, Acts 17, 28, another in him we live and move and have our being. Now, to me, that does not sound like visitation. That sounds like habitation. Visitation, now hang on, because I'm going to shoot some of your theology right out from under you here, because it did me. Visitation was the way God manifested himself in the Old Testament. Visitation was the way that God manifested himself in the Old Testament. What does it say right in the beginning in Genesis? That God would come in the cool of the evening to visit or to fellowship with Adam and Eve. That meant what? He had to have gone and left his presence and then his presence came back every night. Go to, to, to Israel, his dealings with Israel in, in the wilderness. What does it say? That the cloud, his presence, would descend on the tabernacle, and then it would lift from the tabernacle. It would visit, it would lift. And that's how God dwelt in, 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 in the Old Testament. That's how he chose to manifest himself in the Old Testament. Visitation, he visited Adam and Eve, God of his presence. Access to his presence was limited to certain people at a certain time. That's just how he did it. Not everybody could go into the Holy of Holies where he dwelt. 
only certain people, and then at certain times. And then God would visit. He would visit. They would, there are times you read through Israel's history when it says God visited Israel. So I'm going to say something here, and man, I prayed over this one. And I said, Lord, do you really want me to say this? This really has to be what your, your heart, this really has to be you. Because, man, if I say this, uh, I'm going to get some raised eyebrows. If you are praying for God to visit you, you are praying out of an old covenant mindset. I told you, I knew it was coming. If you're praying for God to visit you, you're praying out of an Old Covenant, Old Testament mindset. Now, it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get visited. You will. It doesn't mean that God's not going to visit you. He will visit you. But you are settling for a lot less than what he has for you to have. What's really being prayed is this. Honestly, you want to get right down to it. This is what we're praying. God, come and visit once in a while. When we are in trouble, when we have a problem, you come and visit us once in a while. Show up when we're in trouble. Show up when we need you. Other than that, We'll, we'll be okay on our own. We'll live life the way we want to live. That, if you want to get down to it, when you're talking about a visitation, that's really what you're saying. It is. And so that's why, that's what we pray. You get your visitation. You'll get your visitation. I, I wrote it down this way. You get your visitation, but you will never know the beauty and intimacy of habitation. You'll never know the beauty and the, the intimacy of habitation. Guys, if your wife comes, was coming just to visit you once in a while, you'd never know the beauty of the relationship that you have with her. You'd never know the intimacy of the relationship. Same, ladies, if your husband just showed up once in a while and said, Hey, how you doing? Thought I'd check on you. Number one, that'd be a really lousy relationship to have. But see, you, you would still, in essence, be able to say, we have this relationship of man and wife, but it's not the fullness of it. We have to come to a place where we get a revelation of a never-ending 24-7 encounter with the resurrected Christ. We have to come to a place where we understand that this is, this is a constant. This is the 24-7. This is the seven-day-a-week. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's never off the job or off the clock. He's accessible anytime. We have access into his presence anytime. Because why? He inhabits us. He inhabits us. We've talked, in, and everybody's in the last few months talked about identity. We've talked about love. We've talked about several things, but you cannot grasp 
the magnitude and the full depth of your identity in Christ. You can't until you first understand this. The habitation and being the habitation of Christ. You'll never be able to walk in the fullness of your identity. You'll never be able to have the proper concept of your identity in Christ until you first get this in your heart. I am the dwelling place of God. I act like I am the dwelling place of God. I speak like I am the dwelling place of God. You can't receive the fullness of his glory. You can't receive the fullness of his blessing. You can't receive the fullness of his character. You'll get it, you'll have it in measure. But until you understand the truth of that very simple statement, Jesus in John 16, 17 said this. He was talking to the Father. He said, Father, I and me, I and you, you and me, and us and them. That's Mark's translation. So we have, you can't fully dispense the truth and the power and the glory of God to others until you enter into the fullness and completeness of habitation. Again, you'll do it in measure. You will. And there are people who are, are doing, they're doing things for the Lord. They're, they are. But and without understanding the fullness of that, that, that idea, God inhabits me. The Spirit of God lives within me. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that raised him out of that tomb is right here inside of me. Therefore, I can do all things through him. There's nothing that I can't accomplish because of him. There's nothing that I can't handle because of him. You fully dis- cannot fully dispense truth. And I'm done. I'm going to finish with this. And then I am, because it's 9.44. It's not because we say the right things. It's not because we pray the right prayers. It happens because he lives in us. Think about this. Because he resides permanently in us, we don't get the ability to do things. We don't get the ability to walk in love. We get his love. I'm going to say that again. We don't get the ability to walk in that love. We get his love manifested. We don't get the ability to serve. We get the servant's heart. We get all these things. We don't get the power and we don't get the ability to do those things. We get those things. We get it all. God desires that we be his habitation. That's his will. That's his purpose. As we get on in this, we're going to talk about, again, just some very familiar portions of Scripture, but we're going to, we're going to look into the depth of what, what it means. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.